You know, honesty is we ought to applaud when someone says that relationships are hard because they are flat hard. Uh, they can be. I like the one about borrowing money, want you to help, all that's there. But friendship is our topic today, actually relationships. How do we connect with other people successfully, functionally, and, and live such a life where relationships are a blessing to us and to the other people? Uh, we're continuing our series uh, on maturing and growing up uh, in the various aspects of our life. Today we're talking about personal relationships. God's clear when he says we're made for relationships. Two are better than one, he says, as, you, as we connect with other people. Two are better than one because they can help each other succeed. Uh, if one person falls down, the other can reach out and help. But if someone falls alone, he's in, he's in real trouble. There's no one there. Uh, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two standing back to back can conquer. And again, it talks about the relationship between two human beings and that third cord of Christ or God in their life. It's not easily broken. And one of the verses that it's actually so powerful if you stop and take a look at it and actually own it. And everyone, I think, knows this truth. When two human beings are living together and there's harmony and there's peace, it says, how pleasant, how wonderful is that experience of being connected to another human being. Today we're talking about relationships, functional relationships, existing between two human beings, two entities, functional, performing and able to do things right, dysfunctional, and we hear the term a lot in our culture today, dysfunctional relationships, dysfunctional people. We hear that a lot because there's a lot of dysfunctional relationships and dysfunctional people that are in our culture today. Uh, here on earth, the day-to-day there's nothing more rewarding, and from my experience at least, than a mature, healthy relationship. Whether that relationship is with our mate, with our parents, with our kids, with friends, with co-workers, our neighbors, whoever it may be. A functional relationship is an incredible blessing. But on the other side, just as we know it's a blessing to have a good relationship, here on earth, in day-to-day life, there's nothing more painful and lonely than the pain of rejection, conflict. Relationships can get just plain hard. The ongoing arguing, abuse uh, from those that, that we actually love and are connected with emotionally and personally can just tear us apart. There's nothing worse than an immature, dysfunctional relationship in our lives. And again, at 2019... I do what I often did when I got ready for this particular message. I went out and I looked for statistics. I looked for information because I have an opinion of what's out there. But let's see uh, what's being what research is telling us. It shows us that loneliness has doubled since the 80s. Now, again, recognize we'll talk about this several times. We're in the connected age. We're in the communication age. We're at that time in a, in a country where we can text someone instantly. We can call them on our cell phone. We can email them. We can face. We can do all of these different things with them. And yet we're drifting with all of our electronic connections that we have. General survey, uh, not one close friend. So I was getting ready. I, I did some history looking in my life. How many of those friends do we really have at any one given time? If we're, you know, hopefully our mate, 
hopefully uh, someone inside of a family, a friend, whatever it is, that close relationship that you can count on. Uh, right now, they said, not one in a crisis. Half Americans feel alone. One out of four never feel as if people can understand them. We're, we're just too disconnected. Two in five Americans sometimes feel that their relationships are just not meaningful. Uh, four in ten, isolated. And here we come to the, the current generations, the newer generations, the connected generations, the educated, the uh, indoctrinated through modern uh, teachings, millennials, more than any other generation. Uh, older generation, 25% of them say uh, they're not connected. Gen Z, which is the, most, is the one coming up now, 18 to 22 years old, is the loneliest generation we've ever had. We're not getting closer together. We're actually coming apart inside of our relationship. Today is about talking about how to connect. Schools have gotten so desperate, by the way, if you're not aware of it, they have communication classes. We used to have speech classes where you'd get up and talk. They have communication classes where what they do is they'll schedule a room, the students will come in, they'll sit at a table, and they have to look at each other. And they can't have their phones out. And they're, yeah, I know, it's all over there. And, and they give them topics. And guess what? They have to talk about those topics and, and share back and forth. When we have to start doing things that are so basic to human life, I think we've missed a cog. Somewhere in our process of this, this 10 hour a day on the screens, and we can't look at someone that we interact with and, and build a relationship with them inside of it. So today really is about relationships, but it's for all of us. Uh, the reason it's for all of us is we all want relationships. This week is part of our Maturing Growing Up series, we started at the beginning. We said the goal, and, and I make the assumption that you're here, is if you had a choice between being a functional, mature adult, being a dysfunctional, immature adult, you'll choose A. So we've been going through this every week. We said the first week, a mature person would be someone who's, who takes care of their own work, who's re responsible with their attitudes and actions. They'll get the job done. They're responsible. Next week after that, we said, if we look at our life, what we invest in is what we get back. What we, what we sow into the ground and plant, that's what we're going to get back. If we do, and this goes for relationships, this goes for finances, this goes for everything, at work, anything. Next thing is understanding what our role in life is. Uh, the challenge of that week, and I don't know if anyone took it, is to get a three-by-five card and write out your mission statement. Why does God have us on earth today? When we roll out of bed in the morning or in the afternoon if you're on vacation, whenever it is, and you're, what are you supposed to do? What does God want you to do as a, as a, as a friend, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a mom, dad, kid, whatever, a worker on base, a worker in town? What is, what's your mission? Can you write it out? We should. We should know what we're about. Uh, listening to God to do that. The next one we talked about uh, after our role, what's having emotional maturity. We talked about if, if we don't have emotional uh, security, we're like a city without walls and just anything and every little emotion or every little thing sets us off. We get angry, we get sad, we get mad, we get glad, we get even. Whatever the case may be, our emotions 
go up and down. So an, uh, an adult controls his emotions. That's, and so this week, we, we, we take the next step, relational maturity. How do we take all of the things, because they all apply, that we've already talked about. Each one of those applies to relational maturity, being responsible for ourselves, knowing what we sow in our relationships, understanding our role in that relationship, and emotional maturity obviously has a huge impact in each one of those things. Being able to communicate clearly, work through conflict, resist unhealthy peer pressure and unhealthy relationships as we go along. Most of us have, have, have fallen and picked relationships that are dangerous. So if you don't have a maturity checklist, I encourage you to pick it up, particularly if you're a parent, or if you, if you just want to know, what, what is maturity? Uh, I encourage parents to talk it over with their kids. We've talked about that every week. They have them in the back there if you want one. So today is about getting along with one another. Can we start with prayer? Let's join me. Father, we, we thank you that we have the privilege and the option and the opportunity of having a relationship with you. Guide us today. Give us wisdom as we open your word, your plan for relationships, that we might be mature, that we might know how to bless and serve other people in a way that, that honors them and honors you. Thanks that you'll do that because we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As we start, there's a uh, first thing we need to remind ourselves. We were created for relationships. When God created us, he created us in his image. And, and our God, as opposition to uh, different from the other gods, ours is a relational God. Ours is a God that cares. He, he has joy. He has sadness. He reaches out. He can love us. And he knows and can receive our love back. Our God is a, a relational God. We're, he created human beings in his image, and, and he is a relational God. He created them male and female uh, when, when he put them together. And, and he wants to come in and, and spend time with us. I, we're, I'm doing a Revelations class, a prophecy class, and love that verse. Look, he stands at the door and knocks. And if we open the door, he'll come in and have a meal. And again, familiar with the, the Mideastern concept of a meal. It's not fast food. That doesn't mean meet me at McDonald's for five. Or you got the kids in the back and you throw a couple hamburgers over on your way uh, across town. No, a meal is when you sit down and, and talk and share life and do life. Multiple courses, you know, you know nice beginning of the meal, the, the main meal, the desserts. If you want to if you want to invite me over, I'm available. Uh, I stand at the door and knock as we do that. God's created us to be relational beings, to connect with one another. He's also created families. One of the things that the foundation of every culture and society is the security of the family. The relationship between a man and a woman. The relationship between parents and children and, and families as they go along. Uh, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper. Women and men connect together. From the beginning, God said, come together. And then out of this relationship, families spread, cultures spread out of this. Uh, they live their lives together. It's the solid foundation. Some of our relationships and extended families, one of the things that we've kind of handicapped ourselves is by our mobility. Families are often scattered. I've got a, uh, I've got a, daughter in Virginia, a daughter in Oklahoma, and a son in Riverside. And uh, we're scattered. 
but he wants us to, you know, to be in good relationships with each other, preferably in, in town, in time, when we get together with other people. There's a solid foundation. There's, out of it, there's kids, extended family, grandparents, cousins, and everything else that makes family, family. When you get together, there's relationships. It's solid. God's great plan. Uh, but it's, it's not all roses and blessings. Uh, that's the good news. Often it's hard. And the thing is, you've got to ask why. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love, how could there ever be conflict? What happens? Well, the recognition that we're in a spiritual battle and a spiritual war. No rational person uh, would, would, would bring about uh, irritation and anger. But so we're told that there's, there's spiritual forces that are at work trying to destroy us and destroy our relationships. We're told to, to turn to God and, and give our cares to him. But our great enemy, and there is an enemy. Everyone here, my guess is, has, something has popped out of our mouth. We've done something. We've had a behavior. We've done something. And we go, where in the world did that come from? Because we're, what we're doing now is we're swimming in mucky muck. Trying to rebuild a relationship that, that our foolishness, where'd it come from? There's a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle for sure over our culture and what's taking place between, uh, between husbands and wives as they split up, families as they re rebel against each other. Uh, homes become refueling stations instead of places of nurture and, and encouragement. There's a spiritual battle that's going on around us. We need to understand it in our relationships early on. You know, I... Grew up in a family. I loved my mother. She was a wonderful woman, a great mother. She was there basically for me continuously. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, mostly gone. But when he was home, by any definition, he would be called abusive. When he was in the home, everyone walked on eggshells. Because it was just, the fuse was always burning. We just didn't know when it was going to hit the explosion. And, and what was going to happen outside of that. And so that, I grew up, I had friends. Uh, that were going on around me, I, but there was insecurity in them. Joyce, I'm a social guy. That may come as a surprise to some of you. Uh, I'm verbal. I talk. I, I interact with people. But also down inside of myself, I'm insecure. You know, I, I, I suffer from loneliness from time to time. I remember in high school, I told this story last night. I hadn't intended on it. I had a, a Cocker Spaniel, a cute little puppy dog. Oh, his name was, her name was Red, and because she's Red, uh, but I remember sitting in my backyard, and I don't know why it's such a vivid memory to me. I was probably freshman in high school, maybe eighth grade or whatever, and so I'm holding Red, and I'm bonding with Red, and I'm saying, Red, you're my only real friend. Red was thrilled with that news. But it was just that moment of, of going through the young years, uh, feeling all alone. As, as I grew, uh, drinking, dating, sports teams, connection with other people, even 14 years in Marine Corps with the camaraderie that's there, uh, the best I could describe my life was really lonely in a crowd. I, I never really felt connected. Alcohol in intense moments would often take away that feeling of loneliness, but it wouldn't last. In my marriage to my wife, Ronnie, uh, the truth is we were at war more than we were at peace. You know, I need to say that we had a really rough start 
on our marriage. And I'm going to kind of share some of that just to give context here. But I also have to add, now we've been married 54 years. We have a great marriage. Uh, yeah. Not me. Where is she? Yeah. She's, she's the one. Uh, I think she went to Emmanuel today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Get my move. My bad. Won't do it again. Uh, <laughs> we have a great marriage now. We're best friends. But I, I need to tell you that it didn't happen by accident. We had to push back the powers of darkness and destruction, the spiritual forces of wickedness that were trying to destroy us, trying to destroy our family. You know, but when we were first married, we were legally married, but we were really emotionally and relationally single. Both of us came from dysfunctional families. Oh, by the way, if you say, oh, poor Bill, you came from one too. Your parents were sinners. You lived with other sinners. Dysfunction is the, is the norm if sin rules and reigns. My, my wife and I, we would argue over every single thing that came along. Our personalities were very different. Our family backgrounds, both dysfunctional, but very different. Uh, lifestyles were almost polar opposites. For the first 15 to 20 years, it was really bad. There were, there were three things that kept us together. Uh, the first thing was three wonderful kids. We knew the damage that it would cause to them if we split up. Uh, so we stayed together for them. Uh, the next thing is, that, and this sounds really funny, but it's absolute truth. The thing that kept us together in the hard years was I was in the Marine Corps, and every time we would get ready to just, we've had it with each other, the Marine Corps would send me to Vietnam for a year. <laughs> and I would get back, and believe it or not, I would look good to her then. <laughs> and obviously vice versa. You know, uh, those things were there. And, and the third thing uh, that kept us together is she is so incredibly stubborn. <laughs> I'm just really having fun with this. Of course, so am I. Neither one of us would say, I'm pulling the plug on it. You win. So we continue to soldier on in the middle of this spiritual war. Neither of us were Christians. We thought we were Christians. Very important point. We thought we were Christians just because of the culture we lived in, cultural Christians. Maybe had gone to church when we were younger. We knew just enough to be inoculated against the real deal. But as we went forward, the devil was destroying our marriage and our family. We blamed each other for our problems and not the spiritual forces of evil that were moving inside of our hearts and our lives. The truth is, Satan was winning the war. And, and, and God, in his, his great wisdom, gives us an ability to understand that when Satan's in the game, he wins. This verse that we used last week about relationships, it says, uh, and we all know the beginning of it, don't let the sun go down when you're angry. We know that, but the reason why is critical, and we'll come back to it. If we don't forgive and keep our forgiveness current, we're asking the devil to come live in our hearts and our lives. It's really that simple. Early on in the Bible, just after the fall, uh, Adam and Eve had kids. It was Cain and Abel, and they'd offer sacrifices to God, and, and Cain didn't follow God's instructions. So he, emotionally immature, we talked about this last week, he, he was dejected. He was angry, and God comes to him and says, and this is to each of us. God says to you, why are you upset? Why aren't things going well? Why are you, why are you lonely? 
It says if you do what is right, if you obey God, if we obey God, follow God, and know God, then we're okay. But if we don't, Satan will come in, and now we're in a wrestling match with him. If we obey God, then, then we're putting up walls around our hearts and our houses. But Satan had outsmarted us. We hung out in anger. We had the gift of silence for three weeks at a time. Other than necessary things, past assault, uh, or interacting when the kids were present. Uh, we were really inviting the devil into our homes and our hearts. Looking back, the fruit of what was taking place in our life. And this is a test for everyone. I, I use this, these verses as a test for every relationship often when they come in. If I sense tension or I think things are going on in their marriage, I will ask them to read these, these verses. It talks about if we're following the devil, if, if we're following the desires of our sinful nature, then these are the things that are going to be in a marriage. Immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, in other words, the difference between love and lust. In other words, love is we serve the other person. Lust is we want our needs met. Idolatry, sorcery, here it is. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, division, strife, all that drunkenness. I was there. That was us. I, uh, I looked at that, but the Holy Spirit produces love and joy and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That was, now the scoreboard, I, I put the scoreboard up here. At, at the time, at the beginning, the devil was 14. God was zero on our scoreboard. And I encourage people to take that test once in a while. Or at least be aware of the manifestations of who's present inside the home. Is it love, joy, peace, patience, or is it hostility and outbursts of anger? That's the test. We were spiritually blind. We didn't know that we were getting ourselves and our marriage destroyed as we went on. What caused it? Simple. My heart. My heart. This, the quarrels and arguments and everything comes right out from my heart. Uh, it's the evil desires that are at war within myself that we're bringing them out. We want, we want things to go our way, to do our thing. So we scheme and we kill, we argue to get it. We're jealous of what others have. You can't get it, you fight and you make war. It comes from the inside. And, and there's two things, and if you can take away something, there's two components to a dysfunctional relationship. Pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness flow out of our hearts, and they destroy everything. Pride goes before destruction. And this pride of looking at the other person, saying, it's their problem, it's their fault, it's not mine. We, the verse says that we, we see and identify a splinter, but we have to look around a log in our own eye. That's pure pride. And I think that that's one of the things that, that I learned early on is it's her fault, not mine. And so if I could just put it on her, I didn't have to deal with what was inside of me. That's, that's pure pride, selfishness. Uh, what I want is to be able to get everything for myself. And I love this, the way this one verse, jealousy, selfishness are, are not God's kind of wisdom. Uh, such things are earthly, listen, listen, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wherever selfish ambition, you find junk. So if, if you're having junk, if we're bringing up junk in the relationships, pride or selfishness is the cause that's there. We want other people to adapt to us, to serve us. And if we do serve them, there's a price because we keep track. 
And once we've done something to him, we take the step back and go, eh, your turn. Now serve me. That's the way that works. That was our story. Keeping score, conditional service going on. Uh, just as a note, uh, in all the dysfunctional years of our marriage, uh, pain, pride, and selfishness, no one on the outside knew it. Anyone looking at our marriage and our relationship and our family would have said, great couple. Successful career, healthy, all the trappings, home, cars, clothes, all of those things. Kids were well-adjusted, great students, plenty of friends outside. We looked like the perfect couple on the outside. But on the inside, there was frustration, there was anger, selfishness. There was, we were just a ticking time bomb going off inside of our relationships to, to be fighting with each other. That's where we were. Maybe some of people here today are, are in that place. But that, you see, that wasn't the end of our story, and it doesn't have to be the end of yours. God changed our marriage. He changed our marriage by changing us, individually and personally. Uh, we went from an immature, destructive relationship to where the devil was controlling us to a marriage where Jesus Christ now controls us. And again, this didn't happen, you know, overnight. It's a process, but it started by a sovereign act of, of God. And many of you have heard this story before, but I tell it all the time. We were living in Carlsbad, California, living out our life. And just one day, that was before ring doorbells and everything else. And a young Marine, you can tell he's a Marine, haircut, square to egg dude, was standing there. Young guy, he says, hey, we run a joy bus through this neighborhood every week. Joy bus is where that's when you used to trust people to take your kids away. Yeah. And so we... They said, if your kids want spiritual education, or Christian, we're going to take them to Sunday school. My wife and I said, cool, they need spiritual education so they can be spiritual like me. We're clueless. And plus, that would give us a couple of hours without the kids on Sunday, thereby understanding why my parents sent me when I was younger. But so we did. We gave them away. Just take them. They're gone. They need spiritual education. You know, and, but God has, was working a plan right then. We didn't know it. A couple of weeks into the process, that the, the, this bus taking them away, uh, my wife and I decided, because we're such spiritual giants, that we need to go to that church to see what they're doing. If they're handling snakes, if they're rolling on the floor, what are they doing down there that we need to be concerned about? And so we went to church. Wow. I was bushwhacked. God, the sovereign God, had planned a message that I would respond to. He responded, he, uh, he, he wrote that message before the foundation of the world. I walked into this church. It was friendly. It was open. Uh, everything looked okay. But, but the message that he gave was, was a message about biblical prophecy. I've told you this before. I am a prophecy nut. Because it changed my life. And I offer it to other people as objective, clear proof for the existence of God, his control of the world, and his plan for the world, which we see unfolding every day in the newspapers. I won't go off on prophecy other than to say it hooked me. He showed events. He showed prophecy. And he showed fulfillment. Prophecy fulfillment. And I went, whoa, that's a supernatural act. There must be a God. Never had proof before. 
The Bible now took, I respected the Bible more because it held prophecy. I looked at it and I said, man, there's truth in here. And I, I started studying the truth. I started looking for the Bible. I, again, I, I borrowed from a motel when they weren't looking. In other words, stole a New Testament. This one, as a matter of fact, I still carry it as a reminder. And so I started reading the Bible just to find out about this Jesus guy. And so I read it three times in six months. At the end of six months, I, I understood who God really was. I understood that, that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. I understood that there was no hope inside of me. My only hope was Jesus Christ. And, and in a moment of clarity, I yielded to the evidence and laid my life down for Christ. And in that moment, that point of time, I was transferred from a kingdom of darkness that Satan ruled to a kingdom of light where Jesus ruled. It happened in a, in, a, in a moment. Now, I didn't change. No one on the outside would have known that. But on the inside, things were changing, and it started to change not only me, but it, it started to change the relationship that I was in. Uh, I started to mature spiritually. You know, one of the things that was, that was one of the first things I noticed, it was at that time, I, I had a place to go where I wasn't lonely. I could walk into the presence of God and be fully accepted. I could interact and communicate uh, back and forth with him. Uh, it was a totally different experience for me. Uh, still dealing with the stuff around me, but what started to happen was that started to put some, some points on the spiritual scoreboard. Remember, it was 0 to 14. Started to chuck up some points on the other side. Started to be changed by the power of God as the Holy Spirit was moving through us. And so that started a transformation. Over the last 40 years as a Christian, uh, I've changed. My marriage has changed radically. And we've done everything we can as a couple and as a church and anyone else to change other people, to tell them that God's got a better plan. God's got a way to set us free and to transfer us. And that's really what today is about. It's not about the bad relationships, the dysfunctional relationships, but it's about hope. Because there is hope in each and every relationship for Christ. It starts at a hard place for all of us. It starts that we have to lay our life down. Because you see, the problem in my marriage before was my human nature. Because the human nature is naturally selfish and prideful. So if I was going to change the old Bill with the evil twin, he had to die. And that's what happens. I was crucified with Christ. Uh, I no longer live, but Christ started to live through me. The things that I was doing that were right, that I wasn't doing them. That's the secret. God was. I had a new nature, and once in a while it would pop out, and it would surprise me, and it would astound my wife. You're really being nice. Uh -huh. Typical Marine response. Started putting on Christ taking off the junk stuff that was there as I read his Bible and, and started living that out in my life, renewing my thoughts and, and putting on the new nature of Christ. Now, I can't do this without his nature inside of me. My relationship with Christ truly started to define all my relationships. And oh, by the way, if you don't know it, your relationship with Jesus Christ defines all of your relationships too. If we're still moving and walking in the flesh, then we're going to act like we're moving and walking in the flesh. If we know Christ and we're growing in Christ, we're going to start to manifest Jesus Christ inside of our lives. 
Uh, it started to change. Everything around us started in a, in a progression. Uh, again, this, this humbly uh, living our lives out serving God. At, initially, my, my wife, Ronnie, uh, again, I use this expression, and it is, you know, uh, most people, we, we talk about uh, zombies and bobby, body snatchers and those kind of things in our modern culture. She thought someone had stolen her husband. And, and some body snatcher had come in and was, I was possessed by some different person. And, of course, the truth is I was. <laughs> in a short period of time, Ronnie comes to Christ. We start working together and rebuilding out of the ruins that we had taken so long to build up uh, inside of our marriage. We started uh, humbly working on taking the log out of our own eye instead of looking at what the other person was doing. It actually freed us to change because we knew there was something we could do on the inside. This humility is, is, is the key because the humility tells us that we're sinners. If we say we're not a sinner, if we, if we say we're not part of this issue, if we're not part of this problem, we're lying to ourselves. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not living in the truth. If we confess our sins and own it to God, and to the other person. Most powerful words, a husband or wife, or in any relationship, is I'm sorry. And those words that everyone loves to say, I was wrong. <laughs> and But that's where it starts and the transition takes place. As we go forward, we start paying careful attention to our own works so we don't blame other people for our bad behavior. You know, every relationship is made up of sinners, each person here. You're married to a sinner. You're sitting next to a sinner. Your parents are sinners. Your kids are sinners. We're all sinners. We all need Christ. There will be conflict over differences of opinion in all relationships, but understand it's a spiritual battle. No What's going on? In all the years of the military, and even today, today in our country, they prepare people for war by teaching them who the enemy is and give them tactics and give them equipment and give them understanding. You know, if, if you're a follower of Christ, you're in a spiritual war. Learn, the t learn Satan's tactics. Learn what he's doing. Uh, get God on your side. You know, look at the last conflict you had and look at it, test it. Say, what caused that? Was it, was it pride or selfishness? The way to find out is very simple. We have a God that speaks to us. We have a God that talks to us. He communicates. He's a relational God. If we ask God to search us, and he does, ask him to look inside, he does. If we ask him to point out any hurtful way, he will. You know, sometimes people pray this and and they come away and say, I didn't hear anything. Well, I, you know, I almost go, you're not listening. But, uh, loving, kind man that I am. I say, put a sharper point on it. In your last conflict, ask God, what was your pride and your selfishness specifically? I have never come up empty. I can be in a conflict with someone and I can, you're going to laugh. I, there may be some conflicts that I only own 10% of. But I own 100% of 10%. And whatever you own, you own. And that's the chance to be transformed and to change as God searches us 
Uh, but understand, in, in all the conflicts, when we're asking God to help us and everything else, you're always going to hear two voices. This is the spiritual battle. One voice will be pointing out what the other person has done wrong and how they ought to get their act together. That's the biblical expression, King James Version. Get thy act together. They're gossiping about what that other person. That's not God. That's Satan. God doesn't gossip. Now, if you hear a loving voice on the other side saying, here's some areas that where, 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 where you can improve. Here's where you stepped out of the line. Here's this. You see, that's God lovingly correcting us, pointing us back to the image of Christ. So as we do that, as we go forward, just a couple of points, and, and we all know these. We're told to have Jesus' attitude in all that we do. We're told, and, and probably I think one of the most powerful verses uh, in the Bible, it says don't, don't be selfish or, or try and impress other people. We come back to pride and selfishness. Don't, don't do that. It says be humble in your relationships with one another. Thinking of the other is more imper important than yourself. You know, uh, in each relationship, we all know this, we either come seeking to serve or to be served. That's just the way human nature is if we're not careful. God's nature, we go to serve. Human nature, we go to be served. Don't look out for your own interests. Take an interest of others. Have the attitude that Christ had. You know, I often ask people to read this verse. Though he was God, existed in the form of God with all the power and privileges, and each person comes into a marriage, you can, you can stand on your rights you can hang on to your power and your privilege and all the stuff you got going on, or you can humble yourself like Christ. Christ humbled himself in human form to the point of death on a cross. Are we willing to do that? See, that's, that's the test. Are we willing to be as humble as Christ was in each of these things? That's our relationships. Come humbly, thinking of the other. Um, Take a look at the last situations that we've been interacting with. Do we come into each of those relationships, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's at church, do we come to serve? Do we, do we look for the needs of the other people that are around us and reach out to meet them? Now, this is a challenging message in 2019, almost 2020. Marriages are coming apart. Satan is winning the battle, by the way. Now, it, we're actually... This, the divorce rate is not going up. We all know that. The reason is 30% of the people are living together without marriage. It's just easier. They don't have to hire a lawyer when they're done with each other. They can just move on. Uh, we see kids in rebellion, parents in rebellion, not serving everything else. Uh, we ask uh, people on the street, one of the common questions is, what do you see as God's job? And, and most people today respond, God's job is to make me happy. I love that expression because it's so off the wall, so wackadoodle. That's the Greek word, wackadoodle, there, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the New Testament. Uh, wackadoodle means it's just wrong. No, God's to make us holy. You know, and, and, and we as a church, by the way, have been adjusting to the new reality of, of where selfishness is, 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 the, is encouraged. Self-esteem, self-actualization, self-realization, all this stuff, self, 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 is what's taught in the culture today. On TV, you see a commercial, you deserve, really? Buy my product is what they're saying. Selfishness has to be put aside. And for, 
for functional, healthy relationships, one more thing. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you're packing heat against someone else, an ex, whoever it may be, a boss, a person, or someone, and you haven't forgiven them, and you're packing heat in it, you're giving the devil room to come in. Jesus' solution is simple. Be kind and tenderhearted, instantly forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. The instant forgiveness opens the door to communication. The hostility goes down uh, you, instantly. And again, the, the best analogy I do is, you know, you live in a house, right? You got to take the trash out once in a while or it stinketh. In relationships, we have to forgive. If we choose not to forgive, we're choosing to leave the garbage in the relationship. Follow God in that. How do you know where you are in the forgiveness thing? If in an argument or in our mind, we're constantly remembering and bringing up the failures of others, forgiveness could be lacking. We can't solve current issues because they always end in anger. One of the tests in a, in a counseling situation is asking people to try and solve a problem. If they escalate almost immediately, it, you can't deal with the problem because it's all about getting even. It's all about putting the other person down. If, if in a situation and a discussion takes place, gunny sacking means you save past issues, and when you need them, you dump them on the other person. I remember, up, 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 and they got like five or six come pouring out of the sack at that time. Uh, another one, walking on eggshells means there's unforgiveness. Spring-loaded to anger. All of those are signs that forgiveness is needed. Excuse me, forgiveness is demanded. Because without those, you're not going forward. But what's the, what's the takeaway? Uh, again, reminding you of the most important part. Our relationship with Jesus Christ defines all of our other relationships. If I have laid my life down in Christ and I now have a new nature, I can start living out that nature. If, if I don't have Christ, I can't live it out. I've already lost the battle. All I can do is give a human response in human situations. So my relationship with Christ, and as I see him forgiving, as I understand his service, I see everything that he does, I understand how I'm supposed to act with other people. You know, have his attitude, humility, unselfishness, forgiveness. And again, the test is clear. You know, uh, ask God to search us. And, and I don't think it's necessary. I might not, you might even get into some arguments over it, so don't do this. You might have a scoreboard. In your own mind, at least, who's putting points on the board? Is God and the Holy Spirit? Or is the flesh and Satan winning that particular battle? Look at the scoreboard and the information that's there. Um, and again, clearly, the offer is if we can help in any way, please let us know. Would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you give us new life. You, you invite us to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You invite us to lay down and, and actually crucify our old nature that we might have the nature of Christ living in us. 
so we can humbly serve other people in relationship. Thank you, Lord, that you will continue to give us the wisdom to go forward. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.